lives. Now the thing about grace is, once we are in the fold, in a sense, once we begin to understand and see God's grace in our lives, the thing we begin to do, and sometimes over time it begins to wear away, we forget God's grace in our lives. And the thing about grace is that there's so many different aspects of what grace is and what it does. And so throughout this series, I think it's important for us to take hold of each important point of what grace does. And even then, it's not going to be extensive. It won't be able to cover all the bases for everything that grace does. So this morning, we're going to begin talking about walking in grace and what that means for us. So far in this series, we talked about that bridge being the thing that gets us from where we are today to where we want to go, to where we want to be. And we need a bridge to get us there. And that bridge is a correct understanding of grace, how it works in our lives, and then how do we walk in that grace? How do we live differently because of grace? And we learned last week, or maybe we were reminded, that grace isn't something that you can earn. It's not something that you can purchase. It's a free gift from God. We don't obey God to get God's favor. We have God's favor, and out of a heart of gratitude, we obey his word. But in order to truly appreciate grace, we talked about last week, we have to go back to where we were prior to God's grace. We heard a testimony this morning from Sean in our prayer time about where he was prior to where he is today. And that's what grace does. It brings us from where we once were to where we are today. But we have to truly appreciate that. We have to remember back from where we came from when we first experienced God's grace. So last week we talked about how we are Barabbas. We have been placed in the cell, and we are deserving of death. And there is no way to save ourselves. There is no way out. Well, you might remember Barabbas was the one that Pilate said, you know, I'll release Barabbas, or actually I'll keep Barabbas and then release Jesus. Will that work for you? And of course, we see that that didn't work. They wanted Jesus to be crucified, not Barabbas. So Barabbas was the one that was freed in that moment. You see, we are deserving of death as well, but Christ took our place on the cross. And we were given the capability of being free. Why do I say capability? Because we have to accept it in order for it to work. We have to receive it in order for it to work. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, Those who have long enjoyed such privileges as we enjoy forget in time that men have died to win them. Now this is true about the sacrifices made for our nation. But it's also true in how we see and understand grace. Because we enjoy the benefits of grace. But it's easy to forget who died so that we could have grace. So that we could experience those benefits. But if we're free, if that jail cell has been thrown open and now we're free to go, then what? What happens in our lives? If someone is freed by pardon or parole from prison, what happens? The offense still stays on their permanent record. You are free, but you are not justified in what you did. 
You put, your, you put in your time, and now you have been released, but the record remains. It's still there. It doesn't go away. And though Barnabas became a free man, not Barnabas, Barabbas became a free man, he still had a record from his past to contend with. He still had things in his life that he had to contend with, even though he was now free. He still had this reputation that he had to rise above. You see, your position in life still sees you as a criminal in history because that's what your record says. It's a past. It's a record. But the amazing thing about grace is that it doesn't leave us there. We are not simply set free. There has to be something more to it than just simply being set free, and there is. This is demonstrated by a story told by theologian and author Warren Wiersbe. He talks about one of his friends. His name is Dr. Roy Gustafson. He says, Dr. Roy Gustafson has the finest illustration of justification I have ever heard. It seems that there was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce on a boat and went across the continent to go on holiday. While he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of his car. He cabled the Rolls-Royce people back in England and asked, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest I do? Well, the Rolls-Royce people flew a mechanic over. The mechanic repaired the car and flew back to England and left the man to continue his holiday. As you can imagine, the fellow was wondering, well, how much is this going to cost me? So when he got back to England, he wrote the people a letter and asked how much did he, owe it, he owed them. He received a letter from this office, and that letter said this, Dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce. That is justification. Nothing ever went wrong with it. There's no record. There's nothing showing that there was anything ever wrong with that car. You see, last week was our position before grace. And talking about how that grace works in our lives. But today we're going to start talking about what grace does. Because even more important than understanding what grace is, it's what it does in our lives that makes all the difference. Our new position in grace is important. And we will use a biblical theological term to explain today's message. It's a word called justification. Justification. We are justified by grace. We have been justified. Now, when we think of justified, how do we usually think of it? It's the act of showing that something is right or trying to reason with somebody that this is right in your life. It, the act of showing something to be right or reasonable. Now, you may try to justify a purchase you have made or justify a decision you have made or maybe justify your beliefs. Well, we really needed a new TV anyway. Just so happened this one was 90 inch and it was on sale and we just had to get the new TV. But it was on sale. I couldn't afford not to buy it. I had to get it. Right? So we justify our purchases. We justify decisions that we make. We say These are, this, this was the reason why I made this decision. This is why I made that purchase. But this isn't the way Scripture is using that term. The way Scripture uses that term is the act of being made right before God, of standing before God, being made right, being declared righteous, justified. You may have heard it this way. I've heard it many times this, said this way. Justification, just as if I never sinned. 
just as if I'd never sinned. So how are we justified? There are three things that happen in us and through us today. How are we justified? And these are all coming from Romans chapter 4 and 5, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there. The first thing we do to be justified is we believe God. We believe God. Let me make it clear. God saves us. He justifies us. And we believe him. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, speaks of a man named Abraham. It says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham what? Believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He believed God, and God counted him as righteous, as in right standing before him, because he believed. Now notice it does not say that Abraham believed in God. No, he believed God. Many would say that they believed in God, but their gods look different than the God of the Bible. But if you believe God, you stand on his promises. You will live your life after his word, even if the culture goes against it. If you believe God and his promises for you, you continue to move forward despite what the surrounding situation may be. And you continue to hear his voice and move forward boldly because you believe him. You believe the promises he's placed over your life. You see, he believed that God would fulfill every promise made to him. First and foremost was the promise of a son. And did God fulfill that promise? Did God fulfill that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky? Yes. Not in his lifetime. Well, Isaac was part of his lifetime, but not, not the population of the Jewish nation. See, when we come to Christ, we believe God's promise. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So if we believe God and we've come before him and we've confessed our sin, that means he's cleansed us from all wickedness and we know that. We have a confirmation that that is what has happened in our lives, that that sin that was once there has been wiped away because we believe his promise. We stand on his promise. So how are we justified? We believe God. How are we justified? The next piece is we are forgiven. Without forgiveness, there is no justification. We are guilty of our sin. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. David spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declaring, declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those who, whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So not only are you just released from that prison, not only are you just released from bondage, but when you confess your sin to him, it is clean. Your record is no longer there. It no longer exists. It's no longer there. 
The computer has been wiped out. The whiteboard is now clean. And think about who said this for just a moment. King David was labeled a man after God's own heart. And he speaks of the joy you receive when you've been forgiven. Was David forgiven of a lot? Yes, he was. He had an affair with Bathsheba. Then he planned to set up Uriah to think that he was the father. Then he had Uriah murdered. Is that someone that can speak about the joy of forgiveness in his life? Did he deserve that forgiveness? Did he do enough good works that somehow God blessed him with forgiveness? No, he didn't deserve it, nor do we. But why? Why, would, why did he get that salvation? Because salvation cannot be earned. So how are we justified? We believe God, and we are forgiven, and we know that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins. And then the third is very simple. It's what I alluded to a little bit earlier. That in order to really, truly experience God's grace, we have to receive it. We have to take it. It's a gift. It's something given. But it's not something that we just hold on to like this, unwrapped. It's something we receive, we take in, we unwrap it, and we experience the benefits of that gift. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, speaks a little bit about how Adam, how sin first came into the world, and then there's a second Adam that came that cleansed that sin. Starting in verse 18, it says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Can you say amen to that this morning? But Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So through Adam's disobedience, his sin came into the world. And through Christ's obedience, the, wor the world is made right. It's made righteous. But wait, let's go back just for a moment. We must believe God. We receive forgiveness. Then we are justified. We believe God. We receive forgiveness. And we're justified. We're made right with God. Going back to that same old phrase, just as if I had not sinned. These are all gifts given to us. The ability to believe forgiveness and justification. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God is making this appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's a gift from God. 
And when we experience that grace, according to this passage, what does that do in us? It brings us to a point where we recognize because of God's grace at work in us, because of where we would have been without God's grace, we become his ambassadors, don't we? We begin to tell others about his grace. We begin to tell others about what he's done for us. Because what he's done for us is so amazing and powerful that it becomes the testimony that we can share to others so that they can know and experience God's grace the way that you have. He gave us this message of reconciliation. You see, God changes the position of the sinner. Here I am, guilty, helpless, hopeless in my own sin. God changes my position and stands in my place and puts me on the other side, forgiven. And my entire record of sin and shame and the junk of my past is wiped out. There's no longer a record. They can't find the record. There's never been, <laughs> there's never been a record of your Rolls Royce breaking down or of your life breaking down. It's gone. See, justification is more than a pardon. It's getting rid of the entire record, as if it never happened, as if you never sinned. You've been fully cleansed and forgiven, and you've been given new life. And because we have been forgiven, we can walk boldly into prayer. I know often when we're praying on Sunday morning and we're, we're praying together, you know, one of the things that Scripture talks about is going boldly to the throne room of grace. Now, every other place that you see people going into the throne room of God, what do you usually see? They don't go in boldly. They're laying flat on their face in the glory of God. Isaiah laid flat on his face when he experienced God's presence. So the angel told him to get up. And then he was forgiven with that coal that cleansed his lips. And God said, who can I send? Who will go for me? But here, God's word says that we can go boldly to the throne, not because of us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his righteousness at work in us. We are already cleansed. We already have the coal. And now we can walk boldly in his presence and pray boldly for him to be at work. Because when God looks at us, he sees us covered in righteousness, covered by Jesus. We've heard this expression in Scripture, the robe of righteousness. Now, Hebrews 4.16 says it this way. This isn't in the slide, so you just have to listen this morning. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we did. We do yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we can go boldly to the throne room of God. And how many of us need that grace most? How many of us need that grace? We can go boldly, it says, and we will find the grace that helps us when we need it most. 
when we need grace, what do we do? We walk boldly into the throne room and we pray, Lord, give me grace today. Help me through it. And when we're justified, what do we become? A son or daughter of the one true God, of the one true king. We sang, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. You've been adopted. You've been brought into the family of God. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, So now you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if, I, if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Wow, we love the first part. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? But there's a second part that we must also share in his suffering. And our suffering may look different from person to person. But the key point I want you to notice here is that we weren't just added to a family. We were grafted in. Your position as a son or daughter of the one true king is that of an heir. You have all the rights and benefits of being a son or daughter of the king. And he wants to give you his best. He's a good, good father. This is why we can walk boldly in faith. Because the work of grace in our lives making us, changing us, molding us. We are justified as if we had never sinned. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to say this morning that you can experience the freedom of giving your life to Christ today, of being justified, of being made new, of being made clean. It's a simple prayer, and there's nothing magical about the prayer. It's simply meaning it in your heart. And it's a first step. It's not the entire step. But you can give your life this morning to Christ. You can say, Lord, I'm willing to give it to you. I want to experience that freedom, that forgiveness, that justification in my life. If that's you, I want you to say this prayer in your heart today. The words aren't as important as speaking them and knowing them in your heart. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I am asking that you would come into my life and change me. Make me new. Help me to walk in confidence knowing that I have been forgiven and that my past has been wiped clean. Let that begin in me today. Lord, change my life. I pray that you would come in. I welcome you into my life today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, to take a next step. There's a YouVersion app that you can find on your phone. Download it and read. search for the New Believers devotional. And that will be the next step for you. And the next step beyond that is finding a good church that teaches the Bible. Of course, we're, we'll welcome you right here this morning as well, here in Falmouth. If you're watching from other places, find a church that's near you. I'm going to have the entire church this morning stand as I read this scripture over you today. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this. This is a reminder of the passage we just read. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly 
to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this week, my charge to you is to hold firmly to what you believe. Believe God, walk in forgiveness, receive the gift of justification, and go boldly to the throne of grace. And find grace this week when you need it the most. Go to him in prayer and allow him to work in your life this week. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.